You may be. The New Testament reading is taken from Romans chapters 11 and 12. Uh, Before we read, let's pray. Lord, we ask that the spirit that inspired these words might illuminate them to our understanding. That you would uh, let them be to us a hammer. A strong and powerful word that moves us toward you. Lord, I pray that you would use a wretched, sinful, crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans 11 at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For it's in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The word of the Lord. So I want to thank you for the uh, opportunity to be here. And uh, met Eric about nine years ago when he baptized one of my grandchildren uh, down at Intown. And uh, we've had a little contact since then. Uh, I want to begin with a true story. Um, the church I pastored in Alabama had a, uh, a ministry helping a church in the eastern part of the Czech Republic. We would go over each year. And as a matter of fact, a group from that church has just come back from uh, teaching an English camp. Czechs are eager to learn to speak English, and uh, they, uh, they need it for various reasons in school and in business. And I have a pastor friend in Scotland named Robert Sinclair 
that I talk to twice a month probably, and when Robert heard about that, he said, surely you're kidding. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you don't know any English, so how could you go teach them English? And I said, well, Robert, we speak English. He said, no, you don't speak English. You speak American and mostly Southern. And I thought at that time, you know, there are three languages. There's English. And my friends in the U.K. would say none of us speak very much English at all. And then there's American and there's Southern. Well, Southern's my native tongue. I knew you wouldn't have known that unless I told you. So um, I'm just letting you know that I'm aware of uh, who I am. And you can find me a novelty if you like. That's okay. Um, But I want to speak to you today about devotion to God. I think it's an understood and misunderstood topic and concept. I'll be speaking mostly from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. But I want to introduce it this way. Think of this nest of words. We talk about devotion to God. Devote yourselves to God as a verb. Having a devotional We say of a certain person, they might be a devotee or that they are devout, a devout person. And these are, this is obviously a nest of words, uh, uh, a, a cognate group of words that are all rooted in the same thing. And, um, I think it's a, a nest of words that's used a lot and yet not very well understood. Okay. So, if it's raining, what do you do? You get out of it. If you put your hand on something that's hot, you remove it. There's some things it's obvious what you should do. There's some other things that it's not so obvious what you should do. A parent says to a child, stop playing and clean up your room. Well, to the child, it's not immediately obvious that's what they ought to do. Or stop playing and do your homework. Or the doctor says, you go to see the doctor, you feel perfectly fine, and he or she says, you need a procedure. Do I? That doesn't seem obvious to me. How we respond to certain things is not always obvious. How we respond to God, I don't think, is obvious. Devotion to God is like the latter types of things. We're not sure how to respond. It's not immediately obvious to every person around that we should devote ourselves to God. We drove out here uh, for 40 minutes to get here. We found people taking walks, and we found people uh, riding their bicycles and, and uh, out in, the, you know, just cycling, and we found people doing this and that. And if I had stopped and said to them, is it time for you to devote yourself to God, they would have looked at me like I was a nut, Right? It's not obvious to them that that's what they ought to do. And yet, and yet, according to the Bible, we should devote ourselves to God immediately, repeatedly. It's both the right thing to do. We know that. It's also, according to the scriptures, the best thing to do. The right thing and the best thing, not only for God, but for me. And so I want us to think about this this morning, why we should devote ourselves to God and what is the nature of true devotion, okay? First, why devote ourselves to God? And this passage, I think, gives us really two reasons. 
One, because God is God, and he's the boss, <laughs> and he's the creator and redeemer, and he says, you ought to devote yourself to me. But the big thing at this point in the book of Romans is that he has sent his son as savior and life giver. Look at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. God knows what to do. Um, uh, the depth of his riches. What does he mean by riches here? Okay. Well, in Romans 10 verse 12, it says God bestows his riches on all who call upon him for salvation. And so riches here, though God is rich in the wealth sense of rich, I don't think that's the main focus of what it means here uh, when, it, when it says the depth of his riches. I think it's talking about things spiritual and salvation. Oh, the depth of his riches and the wisdom. Now, you know, we sang, you may not have noticed it, but pastors note these things. In the first song, Be Thou My Vision, Be Thou My Wisdom. And thou my true word. We, we, we called on God to be our wisdom. Well, what does it mean when it says the depth of God's wisdom? Well, I think the root of that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 when it says that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And he has become our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification. And the, his, his knowledge here means it, it's knowledge in a practical sense. God knows what to do. And he's talking about what's happened in Romans 9 and 10 and 11. And Romans 9 where it talks about election. And Romans 11 where it talks about, well, what about the Jews? What about the Jews? Well, have the Jews been bypassed? Well, no, some Jews will be saved. Large numbers of Jews will be saved. And, and he's looking back at all this and says, look, God knows what to do. God knows what's right. God defines what's right. And there are in God a great depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge. And don't find fault with God for the way he treats anybody. That's what he's saying. So God knows what to do. Don't fault God. Don't question God. We struggle with what God does sometimes, not only in salvation, as it's been in these three chapters preceding this, but in other ways. But but the scriptures say the creator is not to be questioned by the creature. And we often do. And that's something we need to repent of. So we need to be devoted to God because he knows what to do. Because we can't fully figure out God and his ways. Look at verses 33, uh, the second half of verse 33 and also verse 34. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Uh, you could translate that, how unsearchable are his decisions. He's been making decisions about salvation. We've talked about in chapters 9, 10, and 11. How unsearchable are his decisions, how inscrutable are his ways. Um, no one knows his mind fully. We don't understand God fully. You know, it's a funny thing. People act like, if I don't understand what God is doing, I won't believe in God. Okay. And my response to that is, do you want a God that you can fully understand? I don't. I want a God that's a lot greater than me. I want a God that's more uh, wise than me. I want a God that's more um, unknowable than I am. 
And, and we, we are, we're funny there because I think most of us do want a great God that's so much greater than we are, and yet we want to bring him down and put him under the microscope and, 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 and say, are your ways right? You know, we want to put God in the dock and put him on trial and ask him, are you doing things? Well, surely it's mysterious. Surely we don't understand. But surely we shouldn't fault this great God. No one has ever been his counselor. No one's ever been his advisor um, because God knows what to do. Um, um, This word, who has been his counselor, um, is better translated, who's been his advisor. You know, all presidents have a council of economic advisors, and they need them, and uh, they probably need more of them. I don't know. Um, but he's saying that God has never had a council of advisors. Now, the truth be known, most of us would like to serve on that council, right? Most of us from time to time would like to counsel God on the way he should do stuff. But think about it. You really don't want to do that, right? I mean, suppose I could push a button and tomorrow I become president of Intel or Nike or Hewlett Packard. What a stupid thing, right? Alan Carter, president of Intel or Nike or Hewlett-Packard, right? What a stupid thing that you or I should become God, that we should make the decisions, that we should be put in a position that, that we could counsel, God. oh, no, God, you shouldn't have done it that way. You should have done it this way. I mean, we are, can you believe, I mean, we act like that, but when you stop and think about it, isn't that just ridiculous? Isn't it absolutely ridiculous? that we would try to counsel God, advise God on how to run his world. So why devote ourselves to God? Because God knows what to do. Because we can't fully figure God out. Because God is the source and agent and end of all things from him and through him and to him are all things. And because, it says in chapter 12, verse 1, because it's the rational response to his grace to his person, his work, his salvation. Look at, look at verse 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, the old NIV translation uses, says, it has the translation there, uh, in view of God's mercy, not by the mercies of God, but in view of God's mercy. I think that's helpful. What, what Paul is saying at this point in Romans is this. Look, looking back at these 11 chapters... Looking back at these 11 chapters, looking back at this great gospel that God has revealed, in view of his sovereign mercy to us in Jesus Christ, what should we do? What should we do? And he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And some older translations have, which is your rational worship. The Greek word there, listen, you can, you can get this, logikos, which is your logikos worship, which is your logical worship. It's the logical thing to do in light of these 11 chapters to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. In view of God's revelation of himself in Jesus Christ, in view of Jesus living a perfect life and dying a substitutionary death and having a victorious resurrection and a glorious ascension, in view of that great gospel, it makes sense, it's logical, to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. 
That's why we should devote ourselves to God, because he made us and because he redeems us and providentially guides us and sent his son to save us. Because he's adopted us into his family and written us in his will and removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. It's good news. And because of that good news, we should devote ourselves to God. We should present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. That's the why. That's why we should do it. So what is devotion to God? What does it look like? Listen carefully. Devotion is the sacrifice of self in the service of another. Devotion is the sacrifice of self in the service of another. Mothers of young children, what do they do? They sacrifice themselves to serve their children 24-7. What a job. Those who care for elderly family members... What do they do? They sacrifice themselves in the service of another. You give up your agenda in favor of God's agenda. We just moved here relatively recently, and here's my to-do list. You can't read it because it's kind of scribbled and scratchy. So the battle I have every morning is, whose list am I going to work on? My list? Or God's list? And what's the relationship between my list and God's list? So you're a mother of young children. Well, part of your list that God gives you is change diapers, cook food, nurse babies, that kind of stuff. So your list and God's list overlap. Sometimes they don't. But to present my, 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 my body, and I'll say more about body in a minute, but To offer myself to God as a living sacrifice is to say to God, well, now here's my list, but God, you may have other things you want me to do. There may be things on here I need to deprioritize. There may be some things on here I need to remove. There may be some things you have I need to add. Why did I have Joe read the passage from Joshua? You know the story, right? They're at Jericho, and they walk around the city for six days, and the seventh day, one time a day, the last day, they walk around the city seven times, they blow the trumpet, the wall falls flat. The walls are so flat, it's very interesting in the story, the walls are so flat, it says every man went straight into the city. That means there was no, there was nothing left standing in the walls of Jericho that would prevent a person from, as they circled the city, it would prevent a person from walking straight into the city. I mean, the wall was flat, folks. It was down flat everywhere. And they walk in, and it says that they could do, they, they fought a battle and did it. And then they said, it said there were things that were devoted to destruction. And uh, I'm going to go into the list, but if you read it, there were things. And, and the word devoted, particularly in the last part of the part that was read, It talked about devoted or devoted to destruction or devoted to God. Now, if I said to you, what what is a devoted thing? What is a devoted thing from Joshua 6? There are many ways you could answer that. Sheep, goats, 
people. But in summary, in Joshua 6, a devoted thing is a dead thing. A devoted thing is a dead thing. So if you took a sheep or goat to a uh, priest at the temple in Israel uh, centuries later, and you said, I want to devote this sheep to God, what would you do? You'd die. A devoted thing was a dead thing. Always in the Bible, a devoted thing is a dead thing. What's the most devoted thing in the Scripture? Better said, who is the most devoted thing in the Scripture? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. What did he do? He devoted himself to God. When in Genesis 22, Abraham was asked to devote Isaac on the altar. And of course, God provided a substitute. But it's like that. And Jesus came to the altar and got on it and didn't come off. And he devoted himself to God. A devoted thing is a dead thing. It's a sacrifice. A devoted thing is dead to self, dead to self-seeking, dead to self-direction. And the, the Latin word for devote, devovery, means to consecrate or to curse. A devoted thing's a cursed thing. Really? A devoted thing is a cursed thing. Read Joshua 6. The devoted things were cursed. They were to be destroyed. In Acts 6, when the, when the apostles slash elders said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, what were they saying? We will give up doing certain things in order to do other things. We will die to these things in order to live to these things. I will devote myself to this, and in order to devote myself to this, I have to die to that. Jesus, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us, loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To love is to sacrifice self in order to serve. If you say of somebody, she's a devoted wife or he's a devoted husband, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean they've changed their agenda? Right? I'm going to help them with their agenda rather than seek to promote my own agenda. That's what you mean. Sure. Sure. We do certain things to the exclusion of other things that we have to die to. Luke 9, Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. And follow me, for whoever would lose his life, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What a strange passage. Well, I mean, if you, if you look at it through unbelieving eyes, it looks like gobbledygook. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. What's a cross? It's an instrument of death. Let him deny himself Take up his instrument of death daily and follow me. Die to what you naturally want to do. Live to what I would call you to do. For whoever would save his life will lose it. If you want to hold on to your life, grasp your life, live your life your way, you're going to lose life. But 
If you lose your life for my sake and the gospels, you'll find that which is real life. What Jesus is saying here is this is not only the right thing to do, it's the best thing to do. And that's why some of us come to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and now I want to find my happiness and joy in my way, in the world's way. And then you try to find happiness and fulfillment in the world's way, and it doesn't work. And you wonder, what's wrong? Because you haven't died. Because you haven't died to self. Why do I go back to mothers of young children? I would say the vast majority of mothers of young children, at least in moments, find it fulfilling, gloriously fulfilling, joyfully fulfilling. Why? I mean, isn't it the most awful job you ever heard? It's 24-7. It's cleaning up somebody else's poop and all the other things you have to do as a mother. Why would that be joy? Why would that be happiness? Why would that be fulfilling? Because we're creatures of the living God made to be servants. And it's only in being servants that we can find happiness. And when we want to go onto a throne, we'll never find happiness because we're not those we're not made to find happiness that way. We are to die daily. A living sacrifice, a holy sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice. Let me just say a couple of things about that. Acceptable can be translated pleasing sacrifice. What's the problem with a living sacrifice? Right, don't anybody go out and say, hey, the preacher said we should all kill ourselves. I didn't say that, okay? I said you should die to self. You should, you should give up your agenda for God's agenda. Yes, I said that. Living sacrifices. What a strange phrase, a living sacrifice. It's, a con, it, it's, a, it's probably some big English term for that, but I don't know what it is. So, so a living sacrifice. What's the problem with a living sacrifice? They can crawl. What do you mean they can crawl? Well, you get a living sacrifice on the altar of sacrifice, what's he going to do? He's going to crawl off. Maybe many times a day, right? Mm-hmm. Honesty would say, yeah, I, I, even when I can get myself on that altar, I, I crawl off pretty frequently. And so I've got to get back up there. I've got to, I've got to reorient. Present your bodies. Devotion to God must be holistic. Mind and body, everything we are, the, the text says that, um, Present your bodies as living sacrifices. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And here, bodies, I think, means all that we are and have. How, how do I apply this? Well, it, it's obviously not just on Sundays, right? I mean, we come, your reasonable or your logical service of worship, your logical worship. Um, yeah, this is the right thing to do, come to a worship service. But if we do things this way, tomorrow's worship too. And Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's not a separation between Sunday and the rest of the week, but all of life is devotion to God under this view. Let me tell you how to have a devotional. Some of you have been told, well, I'm supposed to have a devotional every day. That is true. And how do you define devotional? Well, most of us would say having a devotional is reading the Bible and praying. But you can read the Bible and pray and never have a devotional. I've done it hundreds of times. Here's how you do it. You wake up and you say, you know, I'm supposed to read the Bible. Good Christians read the Bible, so I'm going to read the Bible. And I'm supposed to pray, and I will pray. And I've got these link, these list, this list of things I need help with. And so I'll pray God will help me with those things. 
And you never consciously and intentionally say, Lord, I want to offer myself up to you this morning as a living sacrifice. Well, there's never been a devotional until something has been devoted. And the thing that's supposed to be devoted is you and me. And you can, you can read the Bible and pray and never devote yourself to God, right? I'm not the only sinner in the room, am I? You've done this. I've done this hundreds of times. And so you check off your, your, your box. Oh, what a good Christian boy am I because I read the Bible and prayed. You never had devotional at all because you never yielded yourself up to God as a living sacrifice. You know, I... It seems to me the way to report to God, you know, you begin the day, you kind of report to God and say, Private Carter reporting for duty, sir, what would you have me do today? Here's a question. Is God up there to serve me down here, or am I down here to serve him? Many times we've got that reversed. Many times we have that reversed. Um, devotion to God has to be made in the context of community. Uh, there's some things in this passage. I won't take the time to point them all out to you. Um, present your bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. Um, um, we're, we're, um, we're, devotion is an individual thing, and it's a communal thing. I'm to devote myself to God. This congregation is to to devote itself to God. Uh, Discerning the will of God is both individual and corporate. I could go on about that, but but we don't have time to dig too deep into that one. Devotion to God is countercultural. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? That means that some of our initial thoughts about what we ought to do are come from self-deception. Uh, self-deception is one of the in- really interesting concepts in Scripture. Is It's kind of we know better, but we say we don't. Uh, self-deception is when we, we are, we are confused about who we are and what we are and what we're doing. I walked into a hospital room one time. I'd been told I was a volunteer chaplain as a student in seminary, and I walked in a hospital room, and they told me I'd ask at the desk, uh, is there anyone that particularly needs to be visited? And they said, yeah, the lady in room such and such, she's just been told she has cancer. I said, okay, that sounds pretty heavy. She probably does need to talk with the chaplain. I walked in the room and I said, well, I understand you've just had a cancer diagnosis. And she was there and she said, oh, no, not me. That's self-deception. That's self-deception. And we're all self-deceived about something. I don't know what you're self-deceived about, um, but we're all self-deceived. How do you get the blinders of self-deception off? You live in community. Honest, truthful, loving, loyal community. So somebody will say, you know, you're just wrong. Your attitude was wrong. Your action was wrong. And you'll think, I was the most right person on the face of the earth, which is a clue that you were wrong, right? (laughs) When you begin with, I was the most right person on the face of the earth and everybody else was wrong, that's a good clue that you were wrong and you're living self-deceived. 
right? Well, we could dig more into that. But it's, it's countercultural. The culture says be devoted to yourself. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. But Jesus says your feelings are corrupted, your thoughts are corrupted, your emotions are corrupted. Obey the word. At the beginning of the sermon, I said that some things that we should do are not immediately obvious and that devoting ourselves to God is one of them. That the people I passed on the streets and roads of the greater Portland area would not all have been thinking, I should be devoting myself to God, but I'm not doing it. I'm out cycling or whatever they're doing. But now you see the what and the why. You're to present your bodies as living sacrifices, and you're to do it in view of God's mercies to you, his creating you, his redeeming you in the blood of his son, and in light of Jesus' devotion of himself to God fully and completely. Why do we need an exhortation to devote ourselves to God? It seems like a normal, natural thing, but here's the problem, or some of the problems. We're ungrateful to all that God's done. And we're forgetful, and we're self-serving, and we're too busy. And many of us are disoriented, thinking God's up there to serve us rather than we're here to serve him. It will take faith. It will take faith to believe that the best life you could ever live is a life devoted to God in sacrifice. But it's worth it. Why? What's on the other side of death? Life. It was for Jesus. It is for us, not only at the end of our lives, but right now. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will find it. Indeed, the sacrament shows us the most devoted one there ever was, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is not dead. He's risen. He is a living sacrifice, just like he's called us to be. And that's good news. Let's pray together. Lord, our God, um, thank you that you devoted yourself fully and completely, Lord Jesus, to the Father. And you've called us to follow in your footsteps and devote ourselves to you. Um, Help us now by grace through faith to do that one more time. And Lord, then by grace, help us to do that tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and Thursday morning and Friday morning and Saturday morning. Just like privates showing up to a commanding officer saying, what would you have me to do today, sir? And, Lord, that we would have the grace and the faith to follow whatever you want us to do, knowing that that's not just the right thing, but the best thing. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.